What a joy. We were singing tonight. <clears throat> Grant me the cleansing thy blood doth impart, and give me but Jesus, my Lord crucified. It's a beautiful thing. I was sitting there today and I was just remembering when I used to live over this way. I lived over here in Pasco and I had a lawn service and I, I did some work down in Richland and one Sunday evening, there was a Church of the Nazarene that had a program, and I, I went there for their service in the evening, and there was a, a choir that sang, and there was a man that preached, but the thing that I remember about that evening was there was this fella down there toward the front in the audience, but he was down toward the front, and he was sitting there with his family, he had several children, and his wife was there, and whenever anything was mentioned in song or in sermon, about being set free, this man would just say, Amen! Amen! Oh! I mean, he was just overwhelmed by it. He just, and it was a distraction to me. I was a German Baptist. And, and it was just, you know, I wasn't used to that. And, and, and here it came again, some mention of being set free in Christ. And, and he'd get up on his feet, Amen! Amen! Oh! And he would just marvel. And, and I marveled too. And, you know, I, I really kind of enjoyed the evening, but I thought, you know, I was down the next day, I was doing some work in Richland, and I thought, I'm just going to swing into this pastor here. And he was there on Monday, and I thought, I'm just going to share my heart with him. I enjoyed the singing, I enjoyed the evening, I just enjoyed it, but, but this fella, down here in the front, I, I just wanted you to know that you know, I'm not used to that, and that was kind of a distraction to me, and, and, and I, I rejoice with him, but, but I just wanted him to know that maybe, you know, he should be calmed down just a little bit. <laughs> oh, Lord. <clears throat> the pastor looked at me, and this is what he said. He said, that man was a lost and a dying sinner. He was a wretched man. He was a sinful man. He was unfaithful to his wife. And he committed a sin so great that he ended up in prison and he was sentenced to death, the death penalty. Here's a man lost in prison, sentenced to the death penalty. And he said somehow, someone, God sent someone into that prison and presented to him Jesus Christ. And that man got born again in a prison cell. This is just what the pastor told me. And he said, that man got his life changed. And through a series of miracles, the first one being, he received a pardon from the death sentence. And he received a pardon from prison. And when he was put in prison, his wife left him, his children left him. But when he was released... And they saw he was a new man. His wife came back to him in faithfulness. His children came to him in faithfulness. They were sitting around him. And when he heard something about being set free in Christ, he just can't contain himself. This is what he told me. And I was thinking about what I had said. And I just wanted to keep getting lower and lower. I just, just end on the floor on my face before God. Is our redemption that real to us? I trust that, I know that it can be, and I trust that it is. 
I just rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sacrifice of His blood, in the holiness of His life. I just trust. You know, we want to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and tonight, with that rejoicing, it, it's kind of hard to, to turn away and consider another subject. But I have a subject before me that has come into my heart that I decided I wanted to bring this evening. And it comes because I know that we plan to go Thursday to Seattle. In Seattle is a lost and a dying world. There's much commerce. There's much covetousness. There's much uh, sinful impurity that we were so diligent today to you know, bring holiness into our life. But we need to reach out to a lost and a dying world. And you know, if, if the price for all of that sin out there was not that great, if it was just a spanking and then it was over, our burden to reach out wouldn't be so great, would it? But sin has consequences. And those consequences are for all eternity. And because of those consequences, Paul made a statement. He said, knowing the terror of the Lord. That's not just a spanking. That's the terror of the Lord for all eternity. He said, knowing that, we persuade men. And so I wanted, I wanted that to be a reality in our mind and in our heart. Just before we go here again, just a reminder from the Scriptures. And so this is a very sobering subject, but... It is a very scriptural subject, eternal judgment of God. I believe it's a subject that can increase the fear of God in our life. It can make the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ more precious. And it's a very real subject. I want to talk to us tonight about hell. I want to remind us this is a real place. I want to talk to us about eternal damnation, eternal judgment, and the lake of fire. When we know these things, they are a motivation in our heart. And we don't want to be driven by that as our whole motivation. But let's be honest. You know, the drawing of God is upon us. May the beauty of His face, may nothing draw us more to Him than that. But in reality... There is a lost and a dying world and there is fiery indignation from God that's going to come upon a lost and a dying world. So I want to approach this subject very carefully. I want to do it in trembling and in much fear. I don't want to mishandle this subject. I think the subject of the lake of fire is a very sacred subject. And the only way I know to approach it accurately is just to approach the subject from the teachings of Scripture. And on the one hand tonight, it's not our desire to scare anyone. But on the other hand, that is our desire. At least to increase our fear of God. And an awakening to the holiness of God and the consequences of sin. <clears throat> Paul said, I write not these things to shame you, and I'm going to say, or upset you, but as beloved sons and daughters, Paul said, I warn you. I want you to have this information, and this subject of hell needs to be taught. Why does it need to be taught? 
I'm going to say it needs to be taught because Jesus taught it. And he didn't talk about it all the time. He wasn't obsessed with it, but he brought it up on a regular basis. Jesus taught about hell. He often referred to it. He often warned about it. He gave interesting little warnings that we read some today as we gathered, some of us men, that it is better to pluck out your eye and cast it from you. That sounds like an extreme action. But Jesus said that is better than if your whole body be cast into hell. Just lose one member instead of your whole being being cast into hell. And it's better to cut off your hand. Just to tell us how serious eternal judgment really is. He spoke of the worm that dieth not, where the fire is not quenched. He spoke of eternity. He asked questions to the Pharisees. One question he asked them was, how can you escape the damnation of hell? That's a serious warning. Think about what that's really saying to the Pharisees is you are going to hell. How can you escape the damnation of hell? We are cautioned again by the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount that if we call our brother a fool, and I don't think in legalistic terms that we just simply can't use that word. It, it, it's an attitude in our heart toward our brother. If we are not right, we are in danger of hellfire. That needs to come before us this evening. Jesus spoke to the people, the proud people of Capernaum. And he said, thou Capernaum shall be brought down to hell. And that's, a, that's just a, a warning from the Lord Jesus Christ against pride. And we may not be living in Capernaum, but pride may be an issue in our heart. And that thing will be brought down to hell. <clears throat> it's written by the disciples. Uh, Peter, I believe, speaks of God if he spared not the angels, but cast them down to hell. Think of it. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Eternal judgment is a very scriptural, a very sacred subject. Jesus not only taught it, but the disciples taught it. Jesus taught it to them. It comes out in their teaching. They were moved by it. They were motivated by it. I say again, Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And I want to say something about that. Paul didn't say, knowing the terror of the Lord, we just tell everybody about it, and that's our theme. That was not his theme. Jesus Christ was his theme. The blood of the Lamb covering the sins of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the whole world. That was his theme. But knowing the terror of the Lord, he was motivated to preach Christ. And so we don't just run to Seattle and preach hellfire. We go knowing that this terror of the Lord is there and we preach Christ. We preach Jesus Christ. And at an appropriate time, that subject comes up, as it did with the Lord Jesus, as it did with the disciples. There is consequences to sin. <clears throat> it's a very sobering subject. It's a subject of warning. 
not just to throw around, but to teach. You know, I, I talked to Brother John D. Martin. He, uh, he answers the phone on some of those billboard uh, ministry. You're all familiar with the billboard ministry. He made an interesting statement to me. He answers lots of phone calls. And you know what he said? He said, I didn't figure this out exactly, but probably 75 to 80% of the phone calls that he gets are from the billboard on hell. Isn't that interesting? What that tells me is that somewhere down in the heart of man, there's a sneaking hunch that there may be a price for sin. And when we go to the Word of God this evening, it's not going to be a sneaking hunch. It's going to be a clear witness that there are consequences for sin and it's eternal judgment from the presence of the Lord and it's fiery indignation. That's what it is. But I also believe this is a very sacred subject. I believe this subject, hell doesn't just teach us about hell. Hell can teach us something about God. It can teach us something about the holiness of God. It can teach us something about the seriousness of sin. Eternal judgment should teach us how serious sin really is. If it wasn't that serious the penalty wouldn't be that great. But it's even greater than we can comprehend. We need to be impressed with the seriousness of sin. And we rub shoulders with sin every day, do we not? And sometimes we almost get used to it. I think about that poem that says, Sin is a monster of such dreadful mane that to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar with its face, we first endure, then pity, then embrace. We rub shoulders with sin every day. We rub shoulders with divorce and remarriage. It is rampant through this land. Not just divorced and married one time, but two times and three times. And the sanctity of marriage is lost. But the scriptures teach faithfulness in this relationship. It's an example of Christ in the church. It's a sacred thing. And we lose the hatred and the abhorrence of this terrible sin. Because it's around us everywhere. Rebellion. It's around us everywhere. It's almost like we begin to think this is normal. This is the way man is. And, and that's true on one hand, but that doesn't make it acceptable with God. God doesn't grade on the curve. Covetousness. Do you know what the Bible says about covetousness? In, in, I believe it's Ephesians. It says, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints. Not once. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of room for that, but we get used to that thing. And we end up seeing where covetousness is in the heart of maybe me or a brother, and we don't address the thing because it's too normal. We've been around it too long. Immodesty. Many of these things. We rub shoulders with sin. But I believe eternal judgment, the lake of fire, should wake us up. There is a consequence 
for these things. And we need to know these things when we go to Seattle. But not just in Seattle. Wherever God has opened the door for us. And even right here in our own midst. You know, that was one of the cautions that Paul, burdens that he had on his heart for Ephesus when he was there for the last time. He said, I know there's grievous wolves going to enter in among you. And then he said an amazing thing. He said, even of yourselves, right there in the middle of you is going to rise up sin. And it's going to get followers. And so we need to understand that sin has its consequences. We know that sin has its consequences in this life. But it has even more consequences in the life to come. We have seen consequences of sin. How bad it is. How devastating it is. But sin has almost no consequence at all in this life compared to the life to come. For all eternity. I know a brother Uh, He said in growing up, his father told him, he said, son, you can make any choice you want to. God has given you that liberty. I give you that liberty. You can make any choice you want to. But you you can choose anything you want, but you cannot choose the consequence. That has already been established by a holy God. There are people... Who feel like hell is unfair. They feel like uh, God is not righteous in creating a hell. There are people who don't believe in hell. They don't even want to talk about hell because they feel like it's not consistent with the love of God. But I want us to know this evening there is nothing unfair or unholy about hell or the lake of fire concerning the righteousness of God, or the holiness of God, or the love of God. I want to read to you a verse, and you don't need to turn there. It's in Revelation uh, 16. It goes like this. And I've always marveled at this. It says, The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and fountains of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. David said in Psalms, True and righteous are thy judgments altogether. There is nothing unfair. There is nothing unholy about hell or the lake of fire when we understand the holiness of God and when we understand the provision that God has made to cleanse us from our sin. Again, what this judgment should do is strengthen the urgency within us to understand more clearly the seriousness of sin and how precious the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ to set us free. So let's take a look at this subject, this warning from the Word of God. It's a warning for the fearful and the unbelieving and for those who turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ 
And I trust it will bring a sobering motivation for us as children of God. And, and I want to say this kind of in the onset here. I understand that there's Hades. I understand there's Gehenna. There's the place of the dead. There's the grave. There's the valley of Hinnom. And there's the lake of fire. And, and I'm not going to differentiate all of these things this evening. I know that there is a difference but, but I want us to know tonight that Revelation makes it very clear that death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus makes it very clear that hell itself uh, uh, is full of flames and torment. So whether I say tonight hell or the lake of fire, I'm just talking about eternal judgment, the ultimate end. And, and I don't want to be too graphic this evening, but I would like to begin by showing you a video of hell. I thought that would be the best sermon that could be preached tonight. When you see a video of hell, well, you all know that I can't do that. But if I could, I wonder how many of us here could even watch it. Think about it. It'd be too graphic. You not only would see, but you would hear. You would hear the cries. I'm going to say you might recognize someone you know. It might create a fear in you of, of being there. I mean, this is just the reality of what we're dealing with. And, and I don't want to just take this and this be our theme and our driving force but brothers and sisters, knowing this increases our burden to preach Jesus Christ and the blood of the Lamb. <clears throat> if I could show a video, I know that we would all be so glad when it was over. <clears throat> there are parts where you would just simply have to close your eyes. I know there are. And I would too. You'd have to turn your head and close your ears and turn away because we just couldn't take it. <clears throat> but I don't want to just present hell as flames and brimstone and a lake of fire. This place has people in it. Real people. People that are over there in Seattle. I trust no one that's here this evening but this place is full of people. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. There have been billions of people on this earth and few there have been that have found it. But the flames, the fire and the brimstone, the darkness and the despair Anything I say this evening, I'm not making it up. I'm quoting the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm quoting the Word of God. You know how the Word of God describes the, how dark it is in hell for all eternity? It says the blackness of darkness forever. Think of it. You can turn the light on. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. 
This place is terrible. I don't think it's wrong for us to imagine these things. To imagine the cries. The wailing. And that's people. The torment. The weeping and gnashing of teeth that we know will be there. We are told in Scripture, and I, I'm not even sure what that is. Weeping, I know what that is, but gnashing of teeth. I, I, I try to imagine what kind of regret would create the gnashing of teeth. Tremendous regret in this place. We know those things will be there. And I just want to remind us that for those in hell, the video is never over. You can't close your eyes. You can't turn away. You can't take a break. You can't faint or pass out. You know, God has been very merciful to us in this life, in these bodies. When something is too much for us, when the pain is too great, when we can't handle something, we just pass out. We get a break. <laughs> That's the mercy of God. That doesn't happen in the lake of fire. But when you think about this place of torment, don't just think about the flames. Don't just think about the torment. Think about the seriousness of sin. Think about the very thing that takes men there and women there. Think about divorce and remarriage. Think about rebellion. Think about disobedience to the commandments of God. These are the things that take men to this everlasting place of torment. And when we think of this judgment, think about how precious is the blood of Christ that can save us from this place. I believe this thing can be a motivation for good, for witnessing. You know, we, we've expressed and we all have some fear of witnessing, you know, because it's kind of an unknown thing. But when, when the reality, knowing the terror of the Lord tends to take away at least some of that fear, I believe it does. You know, if you're, I've, I've heard the example, I'm sure you all have, but if, you, if you're driving down the road and you see a house on fire, there's a family having a nice evening or, uh, you know, in the living room, what do you do? You don't know them. You're very, very bashful. You can't hardly talk. But you're going down the road and you see that house on fire and they're inside and they don't know it. What do you do? You run. You, you, you go as fast as your vehicle can get in the lane. You run there. You pound on the door. Hey! You don't even know who these people are. But you know the terror of the Lord. It's a motivator. I believe it should be. It's not our theme, but it's reality. Eternal condemnation and punishment can make some things that seem so big to you now seem so small. I've, I've thought about that. I, I'm sure that we all have. But there's some things, maybe your parents require you to do something that you don't want to do. Maybe your church is a vexation for you in some area and you can't hardly handle it. And you're not going to put up with this thing. But I tell you, you know, it's just kind of interesting to me. When you take that feeling, it's very, very big to you. It is. It's very real. But you compare that to eternal condemnation. And all of a sudden, hey, I can do this. No problem. Really. I, I've experienced that. I've experienced it in forgiveness. 
I had a brother that just offended me. I mean, it was just really, I, I, I felt that way. Maybe I was wrong, but, you know, that was the feeling in my heart. And I was having a hard time. And, and I thought about eternal condemnation. I thought about the commandment, the pressure that God gives. You know, God just puts pressure on us sometimes. You know, he just says, if you don't forgive your brother, then I won't forgive you. Isn't that what the scriptures teach us? It is. And I thought, yay. Hey, I can forgive. I can build a sweet relationship. It takes things that are very big to us, things that we think we can't even do. It, it just makes them seem so small and so easy. It makes things that are so hard, so simple. And so we need to make choices and live our life in light of eternity. That's our motive tonight, to do that. And I can't show us a video tonight, but I can tell you a story. And it's a story that Jesus told, that Jesus taught. And I believe we have it today almost exactly as he told it. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 16. I know that uh, one of the brothers read this the other morning for devotion. But I want to spend a little bit of time here tonight. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told a lot of parables. But I don't believe this is one. Would we be in agreement that this story of the rich man and Lazarus is not a parable? This is a true story. It, it's, not, it's not told as a parable. It's told as a true story. Are we together on that? And I think that increases the reality of this thing. It's just an amazing thing to me that we have a recording here from Jesus Christ. It's from Jesus Christ to us. Things that were said in hell, in the flames. There are words recorded here that come right out of the flames, right out of a real person who lived on this earth and had choices like we have. That should impress us. I believe that should move us. I would like to read this passage beginning in verse 19, and I want to read to the end of the chapter, and then I just want to take a look at this chapter and uh, learn some things about hell. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivedst thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. That's an amazing, amazing scripture. I remember Uncle Ed just reading that verse, and he just said, Isn't that a sobering commentary on mankind? If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. What that's saying is if by faith we can't believe the word of God that we have right here, it's not going to help if someone comes out of the fire, out of the dead, and, and tries to persuade us. It's an amazing thing. When man chooses not to believe, it's a high wall. Now I want to take a look at this, this uh, scripture here. But before I do... I want to give just a little lesson here, kind of like Brother Galen's been doing. It's such a blessing. But it, as he teaches about expository uh, teaching from the Word, when you just go through the Scriptures, one thing I think is interesting in expository teaching is the context. Where something is in context. When, when the writer of the Scripture is, is writes a verse, Sometimes the mind of that writer through the Holy Spirit of God goes to something else. I mean, that thing that he wrote just makes him want to, you know, write something else right there to go with it. And so before we look at this, beginning in verse 19, I want to look at verse 18. It's very significant to me, the context here. Here we have a verse on divorce and remarriage. Disobedience to the commandments of God. And it says here, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Clear statement. And, and then we just start right in with eternal judgment. I think it's very significant that this story of an insight into eternal judgment of hell is right after this verse of disobedience in marriage. I also want to look at the verse before that when it says it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. And then the reason I want to say this is let's not kid ourselves. Everything that's written here is true. Maybe I'll come over here. Uh, one tittle of the law to fail. Do you know what a tittle? Anybody know what a tittle of the law is? Pete, what is it? Uh, it's, it's part of a letter. It's like if we have the letter R, for example. There's the letter R, just a small R. This thing right here is the tittle. Think of it. Now I want you to think for just a moment. We walk outside, we look up into the heavens, we see the sun, we see the stars, and, and the statistics that go with those things overwhelm us. Our mind can't really even get a hold of it. And, and the earth is big, and our mind can't get a hold of it all. But it is easier. Not just as easy. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. That's a sobering little word there. And this, again, is in context right before this uh, insight that Jesus gives on hell. Don't kid yourself. Every word here is true. 
And it's just kind of interesting if you back up one more verse. It's what we spoke about last night. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. And every word of God is true in verse 17 and verse 18. For those who are disobedient, let's begin and take a look here at this passage of Scripture. I believe it's very, very significant, the context of where things are here. <clears throat> there are some very clear things that we can learn here about life and death and about hell. Now I'm going to say the first thing that we learn in this passage that Jesus taught is that death is not the end. If you look in verse 22, it says, It came to pass that the beggar died, that's Lazarus, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Death sure wasn't the end for him, was it? I mean, Abraham died, the beggar died, it says. But then he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So the rich man also died. And death is what many people believe is the end. I think many people that you'll see in Seattle, those people, many of them, they not only believe hope is, uh, death is the end, they hope it is. They're, they're staking their whole life on it. But this man, the rich man, also died and he was buried. There was probably a funeral. His friends probably came. They probably gathered around him and said, well, this is the end. And they committed his body back to the earth. They filled in the grave and they went home. It's the end for many people. But it's not the end as we keep reading. It says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments, it is not the end. This, this happened after he died. He was already buried. His body had been committed back to the earth when this was going on in hell. When he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, this man was very much alive. Wouldn't you agree? I, I mean, this is the teaching of the Lord here. Death is not the end. This man could see. He lifted up his eyes. He could feel. He was in torment. He could think. This man could reason. He was, his mind was going. He was trying to figure out how to get some relief in this place. He had a good mind. Send Lazarus. This man could remember. He had a good memory. As I get older, my memory isn't that sharp. But this man's memory was good. He knew Lazarus. He remembered very clearly his father's house and that he had five brethren and he remembered how they were living. I believe this man had been taught some religion. This man, he knew Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Father Abraham, he said. This man knew many things. He knew that his brethren were not living right. And what that tells me is that he knew it too. There is consequences for not acting on the knowledge that we have. And if there's anyone here tonight, and God forbid that there's anyone here who will ever experience what this rich man is enduring, but if there is, I'm just going to say, you will remember these meetings. You will remember the things that you have been taught. You will remember the opportunities that you had 
But Jesus made it very clear. This man is very much alive in every way. And now he's alive for all eternity. And maybe you could say now he's dying for all eternity, but he's, he's alive and dying for all eternity. That, that, just, that just sobers my heart. That just increases my burden. It just makes the Lord Jesus Christ so precious. It makes us want to take the gospel message to a lost and, lost and a dying world. This man in hell lifted up his eyes. He had a body. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he died and his body was buried. But this man in hell had a body. He lifted up his eyes. He wanted Lazarus to touch his tongue. He had a tongue. He could speak. He was in torment. His body could feel. I just want to read these verses as we go. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivedst thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now. And that now there is kind of a term for time, but as, as the Lord used it here, that's eternity. But now he, he is comforted and thou art tormented. And, and I want to make one thing we can learn from this teaching of Jesus is that there is no way out of hell. Once you get there, no more opportunity. It's a final place to be. In verse 26, it says, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. That's a very sobering reality of hell. That's one aspect. There's no way out. None. For all eternity. That seems to impress some people more than others. I'm one of them that it really impresses. That creates a fear in my heart. Another thing that we notice here is that there is no mercy in hell. There's none. Not even a drop of water. There's no mercy in hell, the rich man pled for mercy. Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. But there was no mercy in hell. No second chance. No more opportunity. No way out of hell and no mercy. And it's interesting that this is the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, the merciful Savior. This is the loving Savior, the Redeemer. He's just trying to wake us up. And tell us that today is the day of salvation. Mercy, opportunity, salvation is always on this side of eternity. And you know, I always pictured it that when someone is cast into the lake of fire, and, and I'm going I'm to kind of differentiate here, because I know that, that there's, there's cursing in hell. There's hater, haters of God. And these people, I don't know what their uh, proclamations will be, but there's going to be some people in hell, and I want to look at some scriptures to teach this, who, who know the Lord, who actually thought, convinced themselves that they were serving God. Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works? These people are going to be in hell. And what are they going to think? What are they going to say? They've preached the gospel. Some of these people, I, I don't know how else to say it. I see that caution. 
I just don't see that where everybody who preaches the gospel automatically goes to heaven. It's a condition of the heart. <clears throat> and so I've pictured when someone is cast into hell, someone like us, I'm going to say, and God forbid that it would be any of us, those of us who are covered by the blood, sanctified, saved to the uttermost, praise God. I don't want to put any question on that thing, but I'm going to say someone who has had the opportunity that we have had. Someone who's had the teaching that we have had and just simply in rebellion walks away and says no to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the sacrifice of the Lamb. When those people walk away, <clears throat> I've always pictured that when they're cast into the lake of fire, that there's tremendous screaming, just flailing of the arms and legs and crying out and weeping and gnashing of teeth and you just go hysterical. You just go crazy. That's just the way I've pictured it. And there may be that. I, I'm afraid that there is, and probably for all eternity. But as I read this passage that Jesus taught on hell, I begin to realize that people have a very clear mind in hell. They can think. They can reason. The rich man in hell, he, he was sharp. Like we said, he, had a, he could reason. He had a good memory. He had really complete understanding. And people in hell, in the lake of fire, are going to cry out when they are land there. Think of it. I mean, they're just going to say, oh, wait a minute, i got to get out of here. I mean, their mind is going to be clear. They're going to be thinking. They're going to remember. When I was back on the earth, I mean, there were many troubles that came. There were many trials that came. But when I sat and thought about it, there was always a way out of this thing. There was always light somewhere at the end of the tunnel. What can I do? I mean, this, this cry is going to be in the lake of fire. And so they're going to literally pull themselves together in the lake of fire. And they're going to think, now what can I do to get out of this place? And they're going to look through the darkness, through the blackness of darkness forever. And, and there comes a point where they're going to realize there is nothing that they can do. They are there for all eternity. Think of it. It's a motivator for the child of God. Fire and brimstone. Brimstone, I believe, is sulfur. Sulfur makes fire hot. Sulfur just adds to the torment of fire. It just adds to the torment of the flames. And I, I believe hell is going to be full of haters of God. I believe it's going to be full of people who curse God. But I believe there's going to be people there who cry out for mercy. Knowing the God of heaven. Uh, we just read about it. We know that some of that's going to be there. Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. And I believe there's going to be a cry come out from hell somewhere. Oh God, have mercy on me. Those who have been taught, I'm evil. Oh God, I, de I deserve this. I turned away from the Lord Jesus Christ. I sought my own way here on the earth. Help! I'm sorry. God, I'll do anything. Anything. Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe there could be some cries come out of hell. I'm not sure that I would ever say that there's going to be repentance in hell, but it's going to be pretty close to it. Because the Scriptures teach us that every knee shall bow 
And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When does that happen? You know, I don't know. It may happen some other time. But if it doesn't happen in this life, on this side of eternity, it can well happen in the lake of fire, especially from those who have been taught. But I believe it's going to come from everyone. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. And if the devil has knees, and if he has a tongue, it's him too. No one is exempt. No one in Seattle is exempt. I don't care if they are an atheist. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I believe some of the crying out for mercy from hell will be greater desperation more serious, more passionate, with even more zeal and more brokenness, even commitment than some of the confessions that are here upon the earth that can save your soul. And I've thought about that. There's desperation in this place, but there's no salvation. And I've thought, you know, if there's a real crying out in hell that Jesus Christ is Lord and a cry for mercy and I don't know what all will be cried out, but how can there be this kind of cry and no salvation in hell? I want to tell you why I believe that there is no salvation in hell. Why there is no mercy in hell, not even a drop of water. And, and I believe it's because in hell you can see the flames. You can feel the torment. You've already stood before the great white throne. You've seen the glory of God. You've seen the throne of God. And I'm going to say from the story that Jesus gave, you've seen Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. It's all sight. You can see everything. You have complete understanding. The earth has passed away. There is no earth anymore. as a new heaven and a new earth. But the old earth as we know it is passed away. Your physical body that you're in tonight, it's gone. We have temptations in the flesh. There's no more temptations in eternal judgment. It, it's not there. It's all sight. And salvation is always by faith. Think of it. Faith is not sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him no matter how desperate someone is. In the lake of fire. No matter how perfect their crying out is. There is no faith there. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And in hell everything is sight. And that just leads us for a little while this evening. To uh, Hebrews 11. Let's just go to Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of my favorite passages. I love verse 7 that talks about Noah. It, it's just a, an encouragement to me as I read this passage. <clears throat> I want to read this verse. Hebrews 11, verse 7 says, by faith. And this is by faith. Now, this is our emphasis. This is where salvation comes. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So there's no sight here. He's just got a warning from God. He, he, Noah had never seen a raindrop. He, he had never seen a storm cloud. He had never... He didn't know anything about the fountains of the deep. He didn't know anything about it. But he had received a warning from God. And what was his response? He moved with fear. And all this is by faith. This is where salvation lies. 
moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Righteousness which is by faith. This is the call that we have this evening. And that's where we are tonight. That's where we are in Seattle on Thursday. You know, we've never seen hell. We've never seen the lake of fire. We've never felt the torment. We've never seen the great white throne. Earth is still here. It hasn't burned up yet. Our bodies are still, you know, the flesh is still here. We're alive. We feel the temptations and the passions of the flesh. We haven't died. There's still temptations here. But we have been warned of God. Of things not seen as yet. And so it's, it's time for us to move with fear. At the warnings of God because judgment is coming. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your heart. This is the message that we bring to a lost and a dying world. We don't just take the terrors of hell and throw them out there at everyone. There's a right time in an appropriate way like Jesus did to present the truth of the consequences of sin but we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ today is the day of salvation while there is time to repent <clears throat> I want to turn to just a few scriptures here uh, just read a few more passages in, in Revelation 19 verses 19 and 20 I just want to read these passages to create the reality of this place it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. We haven't seen any of this yet. We're just being warned of God. But if you jump down in chapter 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil that deceived them and was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's just such a sobering thing. You know, there's many things that we cannot comprehend. We can't comprehend the terror of this place, but we can't comprehend eternity. Forever and day and night, forever and ever. Think of it. It's a motivator. It, it'll, it'll help our witnessing when, when we know these things, when they're real to us. <clears throat> If we keep going here, the next verse says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Think of the, the, think of the seriousness of standing before God. I've always marveled at that verse in James that says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. All people stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. 
And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You know, and for some reason there's something in me that doesn't really moan, mourn much when the beast and the false prophet and the devil are cast into the lake of fire. There's just something that just seems right about that. But it's not just them. It is billions of people that they have deceived. I believe there's a scripture that talks about the lake of fire which was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never intended for men to go there. We need to get the gospel message out to a lost and a dying world. God made provision. It's, it's a beautiful message of salvation. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> when I look also down here in chapter 21, in verse 5 here, it says, And he that sat upon the throne, and I don't, I'm not really sure here if this is God the Father or Jesus Christ the Son, but, but he's speaking, and, and it, whoever it is, it's, it's whoever's on the throne. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. And this is the invitation that, that I'm just going to say that the Lord Jesus Christ brings to each one of us. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. This is the message that we bring. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And I'm going to add to that, she shall be my daughter. This is a beautiful promise of God. He shall inherit all things. But verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, is going to be full of people. That should stir us tonight. I believe. <clears throat> I know that you sing a song sometimes that says... Ye poor wandering sinners, come hear his sweet voice. Come make of him ever your most blessed choice. We don't have to go to that place of torment. That just causes my heart to rejoice. Come wretched, come starving, come just as you be, while streams of salvation are flowing so free. Come. You know, I've just been impressed here with this verse 8 when it says the fearful and unbelieving. I'm not sure who they are. It, it, it sounds like they're less offensive than the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and liars. The fearful and the unbelieving. And I'm not sure who that is, but I'm going to just suggest tonight that it's anyone who lets anything hold them back from giving their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just fearful and unbelieving. Just not coming. Uh, we're going to look at a few scriptures here in just a little bit. I, I need to have a little more time here. <clears throat> I, wanna real, I want you to realize how many scriptures speak of judgment. The judgment of God coming on seemingly good people. 
You know, sometimes we just get this thing fixed in our mind that bad people go to hell and good people go to heaven. And, and I, I, basically, I'm sure that's right, but it, it's, it's who's in Christ that goes to heaven. And it's who isn't in Christ that goes to hell. And who, there could be some people who aren't in Christ that seemingly are good people. I mean, they're not the murderers and the whoremongers and the idolaters. The Pharisees, I tell you, they were missionaries. Jesus said they can pass land and sea to make one proselyte. But when they do, it says they make them twofold more a child of hell than themselves. In other words, the Pharisees are going to hell, but that's what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. You're missionaries, but it's not going to save you. You need to teach a clear gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We know, I'm going to just point to a couple scriptures here in Matthew, and I'll just read them to you, but I want to read this passage. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? I don't think these were bad people. I don't think these people would have been a bad neighbor. I don't think they lived in a bad neighborhood. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I, I want to just point out here, and you can turn there if you want to, in Matthew 25, hear the story about the ten virgins. I believe that this parable that the Lord taught of the ten virgins is a parable that teaches us about salvation. You know, I mean, since when do God's people not share their oil with someone who needs oil? We're talking about salvation here. I can't, I can't get saved enough and get enough salvation in me that I can give it to you, sister. I mean, I can tell you where I got it. And that's the message that we want to take to Seattle. We can't take salvation to them, but we can take the message of salvation. Where they went to get it, and I believe this passage of Scripture is very clear. that These, these ten, five wise and five foolish virgins, they were together. And that's sobering to me because when the bridegroom comes, when the Lord comes again, just because you know, we're in the church, just because we're in the right group of people doesn't mean we're going to go. Those who are ready, those who have oil, and, and I believe that uh, symbolizes salvation, are going to go. And I want to just notice one thing here, that at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the unwise had to go and buy their own oil. And verse 10 is, While they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. This is a picture of salvation. There is a time coming when there will be no more opportunity. It'll be gone. The, the, it's very clear here. The door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. That door doesn't open. And so we're kind of on a time schedule here. We really are. I want to turn to... In Matthew 22, it speaks about the parable of the marriage feast. This is very significant to me because there was a servant here. I'm not going to go through the whole parable, but go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. I'm in 22 verse 9. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. 
And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, I don't know who this man was, but this, there seems to be some significance placed upon him. And I don't know who he is, but I don't think he was a bad person. I, I mean, in terms of just, you know, a bad neighbor. This man was someone who responded to the invitation. They went out into the highways and byways, and this man came. He really did. And it's obvious this man doesn't have the righteousness of Christ upon his life, but he did respond to the invitation. My point is, this thing is serious. It's not just all that obvious. God knows his own. But there are many people who seemingly are good people that the judgment comes upon them. It says here, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. That's a sobering reality from the scripture. Many are called, but few are chosen. <clears throat> I see the time. I'm going to cut it short here. <clears throat> Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Tonight, we've talked some about eternal judgment. But we want to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our burden. That's our desire. We want to lift up the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We want to lift up the blood of the Lamb. We want to lift up the commandments of God. We want to lift up the holiness of God. We want to lift up the life and the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's salvation in Him. And we want to take that message to a lost and a dying world. Streams of salvation are flowing so free today. In Revelation chapter 10, it says that there is a mighty angel. Interesting phrase, a mighty angel. And it says that he comes down from heaven and he plants his feet. The one of them he puts on the land and the other on the sea. And it says he cried with a loud voice. A mighty angel standing upon the earth cried with a loud voice. It says as when a lion roareth. And he cried out, does anyone here know what he said? What did he say, Brother Joe? Time shall be no longer. Time shall be no longer. There is a time coming when opportunity is gone. We're on a time schedule. It's the message of the Word of God. We lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I just love the, the message, whichever one it was today that was speaking about yellow highlight there of all the Old Testament scriptures that point to the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament is yellow. I've heard that wherever you cut the Bible, it bleeds. The Lord Jesus Christ is just there. He's just exalted. That's the message that we need to take to a lost and a dying world. <clears throat> If we sin willfully, Hebrews 10 tells us, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation. That's an interesting term to me. 
fiery indignation. Indignation is an interesting word. That, that, that comes when somebody is fed up. They're indignant. They've just had all they can take. It's fiery indignation. The flames of hell are the indignation of God, the fiery indignation of God upon those who turn away from Jesus Christ, His Son. I want to I close by reading 2 Thessalonians. If I could turn to it quickly here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Sobering words here from the Word of God. When the Lord Jesus Christ shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance, this is that fiery indignation. God gives no more opportunity to accept his son. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished forever with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired of all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. There's that faith that brings salvation that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified among you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that scripture, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified. Isn't that beautiful? I tell you tonight, the Spirit and the bride say come. And the Spirit there, that's the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within us. There's something within us that just says come. But the Spirit and the bride say come. Who's the bride? Well, it's those who are in Christ. Brother Lowell says come. Brother Grant says come. Brother Russell says come. Brother Anthony says come. Brother Pete, Brother Galen, Brother Paul, Brother Joe. Your parents say come. The martyrs say come. Let him that heareth say come. And whomsoever will, let him take of the waters of life freely. I want this to be in our heart. I don't want this to just be our theme. I don't want this to be something we can't just lay aside and, and think about the purity of Christ. But I want us to be in the category that Brother Paul was in when he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and a dying world. God bless you.